Hello, and welcome to Case Files in Neurology, where we share the stories that our patients tell us and the lessons that they teach us. Our host is Dr. Danish Body, a movement disorders neurologist at the University of Nebraska Medical Center. He is also the director of our international neurology program. You will hear some amazing stories of courage, mystery, wisdom, and hope from faculty in our department on cases that have stood out so much that they can still recall it. Welcome to the Art of Medicine. The story is that he was brought in to the hospital. He eventually came to Creighton University where I was then chairman of neurology and was taken care of by a neurosurgeon. The story was he had a gunshot wound to the roof of his mouth that was self-inflicted. It was a suicide attempt and he was despondent because as a 14-year-old boy, his girlfriend didn't want him to be her boyfriend anymore. And unfortunately, nobody intervened or knew about it or could stop him. He got a shotgun and didn't know much about neuroanatomy and wasn't thinking clearly at the time, obviously. Anyway, when he pulled one of the triggers, he lost his uh, left eye and part of his frontal lobe. So somehow the neurosurgeon, Dr. Talon, was able to patch things together. And what happened was he obviously had to get, I think, tensor fasciolata or some other kind of way to close the dura and of course the cribriform plate area was fragmented and when he did close things up there was a continuous CSF leak through his nose and eventually that stopped as well and eventually there was a skin flap over what had been his eyebrow and this young man wore a patch over the eye like uh, in the old shirt commercials that the model had a patch over his eye, meaning he was a cool guy and had been, I don't know, a tough guy. At any rate, for many weeks thereafter, little fragments of bone would work their way to the incision around his what was left of his left eye. And he would actually pull out these little pieces that looked like eggshell and would throw them away. And the bone fragments somehow worked their way to the incision when it was still fresh. And eventually the CSF leak stopped. And he may have been on antibiotics for a while, but then the young man regained some of the use of his right side, was able to walk, but his arm was already um, destined to be pretty weak. Anyway, when I saw him, I took over the management of his seizures and we found a way to stop the seizures. He had focal seizures and then some of them were our grand mal. And eventually he somehow was recovered and when I saw him in follow-up for the seizures, I would check him and gradually he began to develop some more language skills, was able to talk again. This was his dominant frontal lobe so he had a broke his aphasia. He had a movement disorder and then he had spasticity and he had seizures. Saw him in Norfolk? I saw him in Norfolk uh, in follow-up many times. 
after the first visit may have been at Creighton University, uh, because I think, first of all, uh, I'm not sure, but it really doesn't matter that much. But he was one of the projects that I had to try to make this guy recover as best that we could. So gradually I noticed that the fragments of bone stopped coming to the surgical wound and his CSF leak stopped. And as you know, CSF leaks sometimes stop because the flow uh, slows down. And then the bad news about that is that then bacteria can go upstream if it's slow enough and enter the brain. Mm. But So he required antibiotics for a while. But eventually, his parents were very supportive and hoped the best for him. And he got so that he was able to walk and do rehab. Uh, and then I would take care of him. I would see him about every 6 to 12 months and treat, make sure his epilepsy was being correctly treated. Then... I found out he was getting very sick one time and had some sort of upper respiratory infection and rhinorrhea, I guess you can test back in those days to see if there was much glucose in the fluid that comes through the nose. Because if it's just a rhinitis, it has very little glucose. So we would use glucose strips. And if it registered, let's say, 40 or 50, that's in the range that you might get for CSF. So we would know then that part of it was CSF. At any rate, uh, he was becoming, he had a bad headache and was developing a fever, and we just had him sent right in. So he came to our hospital, and we could tell right away he was becoming obtunded, was on my service, was in the ICU, and... He was getting neck stiffness, and you know what's happening. So at that point, he had, um, we thought, strep pneumonia meningitis. And we did a spinal tap, and it was positive. Uh, he was very, very sick. And we treated him with uh, appropriate antibiotics. And we noticed that on the scan that we took, there was a lot of air between the sulci in the brain. On the brain. On the brain, mm. inside. So he was sucking in if. Actually, worse than that. Mm. They said he was having a runny nose. It was probably a viral infection, but, you know, uh, the nasopharynx is full of this strep pneumonia organism, and he was blowing his nose. Oh, and, and the air would go up into the brain. Yeah, and, 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 you know how some people... It. Some people blow their nose by, you know, really pinching it hard, pinching yeah. it hard, and yeah. then blowing hard. Yeah. And unfortunately, the cribriform plate was lucky to be closed at all. So it was like a valve that would it, open yeah, up. Yeah, it was. It, it was, was like a in. valve, and so he the, he, he the blew it. Lucas would go in into the yes, brain. Yes. Yes. So he, he he blew his nose, and so for a long time we figured, how in the world did he get all that air up in his brain? And then it dawned on me once at a stoplight, probably. <laughs> I bet he was blowing his nose. So anyway, we finally, uh, he was very touch and go, ICU for probably a week before he started coming around. And then he began to talk again and he began to be coherent and do what we asked him to do. And he gradually got better and was in the hospital for weeks. 
but eventually went home again. Mm. Now, he was actually a fun patient to see because you could see him develop. They found a job for him to do uh, sweeping floors in a gym or some school. Mm -hmm. And he was able to do that. He would drag one foot a little bit. It was a little spastic. And he would mainly sweep with one arm, but he was a good worker. And he enjoyed things. And actually, he got so that he could communicate with two or three word sentences, not a long, elaborate sentence, because it was more like a brocus, direct nouns and verbs, not so much adverbs and clauses and other phrases. Mm -hmm. And he actually had a great sense of humor, and he loved music. That was the side of his brain that was still intact. Mm. And he had a really good sense of humor, and uh, he was always willing to be examined and shown to students, and we used him for grand rounds sometimes when we, I would make a special day for him in the clinic, and I would show them to the medical students, and it was a, a fascinating case. Uh, and then, I think I still see him. He's in his 20s, and he is semi-independent. He can make his wishes felt. But what I, what I noticed about this young man is he was a real fighter. He was a real survivor. A lot of people wouldn't have accepted his fate as well as he did. Uh, of course, the frontal lobe probably is the center where you worry about things. And maybe that was part of the advantage, if there was one, for this. But he actually had a happy life, and we used when I wanted to communicate with him, we'd start singing Motown songs together, and he really liked uh, that kind of music. And I learned so much from patients like this. If this young man can be happy, why can't we be happy? I mean, what if you lost your ability to speak in the way you need to speak to express all your feelings? This young man. Uh, had a flexion of his right arm and hyperreflexia and Babinski and all the things you would expect, but he had a really good attitude and he accepted his condition and mm -hmm. I think sometimes I learn more and the patients and the family were so grateful for everything we did. I think he got admitted once or twice as well from other complications, but the other amazing miracle in this is that they were able to close that wound and he was able to heal it, even though I, I told him he can never, ever blow his nose again. Or if he did, he had to not pinch his nose and just blow with both nostrils open. So that's one of my interesting patients. And why, why is this case important to you and you remember it so well and you wanted to share it with everyone? Well... I become attached to my patients, and I know according to the wisdom of the old uh, original doctors, like um, oh, many of them say you can't become attached to your patients, but I think if you really care about them, you care about them as people and not as patients, that you can see yourself in their shoes. I think that makes you a better doctor. It does, however, set you up for a great deal of disappointment. Uh, but. I would much rather be that way. I don't think you can be a good doctor without caring about your patients and treating them the way you would like to be treated. So I'll take my chances. Um, Sir William Osler, O-S-L-E-R, is quoted as, you must be in the midst of all sorts of 
emergency situations be, he called it equanimitas, even-mindedness, so that no matter, it's kind of what the Buddha taught, no matter what happens, good or bad, accept it for what it is and don't let it sway your judgment much, if at all. So I don't know why, uh, it's just one of those guys that I took care of, or women that I took care of, that made an impression on me that a lot of people would have given up on him and say, what kind of a life can this young man have? Mm. But who's to judge what the value of another life is? If he's a happy individual, if he's contributing to society, if he has more friends than you or I do, because everybody likes him, well, fine. I'm okay with that. Okay, very good. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to our podcast. You can find the show notes and related links on our blog page at the University of Nebraska Medical Center Department of Neurological Sciences website. You can also follow us on Twitter at UNMC underscore neurology and find all of the previous episodes on iTunes. Until next time with another patient story.